Good morning, everyone. Journalist John Allen, in his book entitled The Global War on Christians, maintains that Christians as a whole are indisputably the most persecuted religious body on the planet. The world is witnessing the rise of an entire new generation of Christian martyrs. The carnage is occurring on such a vast scale that it represents not only the most dramatic Christian story of our time, but arguably the premier human rights challenge of this era as well. How many knew that today? Nobody knows it. A few people know it. Now, this is very troubling because the media is actually very, very good at getting out big stories. And I just uh, quoted from this book, The Global War on Christians, saying that this was the premier human rights challenge of this era, and yet nobody knows about it. We have watched in the news over the past few years the shocking and gruesome beheading of innocent people whose only crime is that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Last year, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, she declared that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. And echoing her statements, British Prime Minister David Cameron said the same thing. British Prince Charles he addressed the issue. Pope Benedict XVI also addressed it, as has the recent pope. Meanwhile, Christians in the West, that's us, are doing nothing. In fact, if you watch the TV evangelists, we see them talking about how God can make you richer, and we hear and see them asking for more money so that they can buy personal jets to get them around in relative comfort, while we have this premier human rights challenge happening right before our eyes. For the past several years, our church has taken this time of the year through November, December, as a time to bless other people. And last year, we raised over $30,000 to help those who are less fortunate. It's absolutely a staggering amount of money. But last year, through this time, it was $30,000, over $30,000. And every penny, every, every nickel, every dime went towards helping those in need. And, and of course, some of the things that we raised money for were the bags of hope. Uh, some of it was the Christmas hampers that went up north, um, we gave the teachers at staff, uh, and staff at Horizon College a $100 gift certificate to express our appreciation to these uh, men and women who are overworked and underpaid. And so what we want to do at Cross Church over the next four weeks is we want to engage our congregation to use their time, their treasure, and their talent to make a difference in this world. We are asking you... For the whole month of November, and we're going to be talking about it in our small groups, we're going to ask you to engage with us in making a difference in the lives and the people around us who maybe don't have what we have and maybe not, are not as well off as we are. You will all have been given a bulletin this, uh, this morning. If you haven't got a bulletin, uh, I would ask you to, to get one before you leave. And in the bulletin 
is a section on how you can get involved. It's called the Be Rich Campaign and how to get involved. And it talks about some of the things that we'd like to do. We like to give to persecuted Christians and refugees. We'd like to sign, we'd like you to sign up to uh, fill one of our kids' club family Christmas hampers. Uh, we'd like to give some Christmas hampers to the folks, the Christians in Garden Hill and also in Satchago Lake. Uh, we'd like to bring breakfast cereal for Brooklyn School Feeding Program. We'd ask you to sign up to volunteer for Cross Church's Christmas Outreach. Uh, we're, uh, we're asking you to use your time, your treasure, and your talent for God's glory. And speaking of using your time and serving, uh, in this room next door to us, there's 28 people who are sitting in a special uh, course that, that um, Laura mentioned in the bulletin. It's an orientation on how to serve at Cross Church. And by the way, if you haven't signed up for that yet, we'd ask you to please do that as soon as possible. And of course, there'll be some other um, projects that we'll be talking about. But I, I do want to uh, ask you to please take careful note of that. And I'd like to ask you to begin to pray. And, you know, so often we ask for money for ourselves, but this time it's not for us. 100% is for others who are in need. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on, on persecuted Christians. And more about that in just a moment. You will uh, also notice that there are a number of envelopes that are called Be Rich. And we would ask you to, to take one of these envelopes. You can give a donation today. Uh, the suggested donation is $30 per person. If everybody in our church gave $30, we would be a third of the way towards our goal. So we're asking everybody, if you would get one of these envelopes and prayerfully consider what you could give. And then possibly, uh, you'll want to give something every week. And you're certainly welcome to do that. We definitely have enough envelopes for that. Four per person, not a problem, or four per household. Um, but we want to, everybody to start thinking about what they can do to make a difference around the world. Now, before we talk about giving and meeting the needs of the persecuted rich, we've got to establish something, and here it is. We are rich. Does everybody understand that today? We are rich here in Cross Church. But many of you would say, well, I don't think I'm rich, Pastor Allen. Um, I know people who are, but I'm not one of them. Did you know that most of the, uh, of the people here today are in the top 1% of the world's richest people. Did you know that? The majority here today are in the, in the top 1% of the world's richest people. And you say, well, Pastor Al, I'm pretty sure I don't fall in that category. Folks, if your household income is $48,000 or more, then you are definitely in the top 1%. But you say, Pastor Al, I'm nowhere near $48,000 a year in my household. Well, I can tell you, that the rest of you are in the top 2 or 3% of the world's richest people. So whether it's 3% or 1%, we're, we're haggling over numbers. But you get the point. We are rich. And would everybody say this with me? I am rich. I am rich. Say it one more time. I am, rich. I am rich. Tell the person beside you, you are rich. Now, how many, for how many people, is this a revelation? When you leave here today, you can jump up and down. I'm rich. I'm rich. Uh, so we've entitled the message today, Congratulations, You're Rich. Our goal over the next, uh, next four weeks, including today, is to help us understand what it means to be rich. In fact, our goal is not so much to talk about how to get rich, 
Because I think that's the thing that actually excites people, the idea that they can get rich. In fact, that is the North American dream, isn't it? What we want to do is we want to talk to, you, talk to you about how to be rich. In other words, we've established the fact that we're all rich, but the question is, is how, how should I be rich? How should I live to live out this, this reality that I'm rich? Look at the scripture verse here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 17 and 18. And Paul says this, he says, he says, command that those who are rich in this present world, uh, where are we here? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Did you get that? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. By the way, Paul is talking about us. We're the people who are rich in this present world. So he says, teach them not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. How many know that today? It could be here today, gone tomorrow. But rather to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, next verse, next, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So did you get that? Command them to do good, and watch this, here's where we get the, the phrase, be rich, to, how, are, you, are you asleep here? You've got to turn the heat down a bit. Command them to, do, <laughs> let's try this one more time. Command them to. Thank you so much. Okay, so you get the drift here. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So here's the thing. In spite of the fact that most of us don't feel rich, and, and there's a there's a good chance that the reason you don't feel rich is because you're maybe in debt up to your eyeballs in order to live this rich lifestyle that you've gotten used to. But in fact, in spite of the fact that you don't feel rich, the world that, that, that is around us would love to have our problems. Pastor Alan, what are you talking about? Well, the fact is, is that we, all, we have rich problems here in North America. We've got rich problems. Every one of us here has rich problems. And you say, well, Pastor Alan, what do you mean by these rich problems? Well, I'll tell you. Here's, here's a list. You go through Tim Hortons, and you get your order, and as you're driving away and as you're digging into your bag, you realize, hey, I didn't ask for sugar in my coffee. They got it wrong, and you're mad about that, and that's your problem. I'm going to tell you, there's a, <laughs> 95% of the world would love to have that problem, that they could actually go through a drive through and order a coffee for $1.50 or $1.80 or $2.00. For some people, that would be close to a day's wage. That's a rich people problem. Or you got bad cell phone coverage. I'm in my basement and there's no bars. What kind of a stupid... And folks, that's a rich person's problem. My car has a rust spot. That's a rich person's problem. Or my car is out of date. I need to get one that's up to date. I need to get the latest model. That's a rich person's problem. Or how about this one? I only have an iPhone 5S. <laughs> By the way, how many do have iPhone 5S or 5? How many got a 4? Anybody got a 6? Yeah, of course it is. This is a rich person's problem. I called my teacher, they called the kids' teacher, they didn't call me back. That's a rich person's problem. There's a lot of kids that can't go to school. 
I've got only two weeks vacation. That's a rich person's problem. How about this? My computer crashed. That's a rich person's problem. I've got slow internet, or as it was for me this morning, no internet. That's a rich person's problem. How about this one? My childcare is expensive. That's a rich person's problem. The TV repairman, the t TV, actually the TV, we don't have TV repairman anymore, do we? We throw out our TVs if they don't work. That's a rich person's problem. The Shaw Cable guy didn't come on time. That's a rich person's problem. I had to wait a long time in line at Superstore. <laughs> Never at Costco. I'm joking. <laughs> they do have lines there, but they're nice lines. Um, I had to pay $8 for a hot dog at the, ho at the get hockey game. Um, how about this? It cost me more money to fill up my gas tank. Or how about this one? Security lines at the airport are long. Or there was a power outage, and now my alarm clock in my bedroom is flashing because it's the wrong time. How annoying. Folks, these are rich people problems. And 95% of the world would love to have these problems. So here's what you and I need to understand today. We are rich. We are rich beyond the imagination of most of the people around here. Now, you see, Pastor Allen, I didn't really want to come to church this morning for a guilt trip. Okay, so I'm not giving you a guilt trip. And in a few moments, you're going to see uh, that, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, what I would like to see is I'd like all of us rather to be grateful for what God has given us because here's what I've discovered. Guilt never, gets, never generates or excites people to give, but gratitude does. Gratitude makes people generous. So if we're so rich, then the question that we need to ask next is this. Who needs our help? Who should we be reaching out to? A few weeks ago, I shared personally how um, being in the world's top 1% of wealthy people had really become a struggle for me. And you say, Pastor, what on earth are you talking about? How could it be a struggle to be in the world's top 1%? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I looked at the needs of the people around me uh, in this world, and I asked myself the question, um, why should I be blessed with so much while most of the people in this world have nothing? Why should I be blessed like this? And it's been a tension that I've, I've had to live with and I've had to manage for my whole life. I mean, I don't even know if my kids are even fully aware of it. But every time I come home and I push the garage door opener and the garage door goes up and I can drive in and I can push the button and it goes down again, I think to myself, the majority of the world would love to have a house for their car. Right? And I walk in the house and it's warm, it's not cold. In fact, it's too warm. <laughs> I, go, I go into the kitchen, I'm hungry, there's, there's a piece of cheese, there's a Coke Zero, there's, there's cake to eat, there's all kinds of food to eat in my, in my fridge. There's coffee sitting there, I can have a cup of coffee. I can the, sit down on a comfortable couch. I, with the, I don't have, even have to go to the TV, I can just hold my little remote, which has got my name on it. And I can, no, it doesn't really. My name, yeah. anyway, uh, I, there I am, I can, I can watch the news. I can, I, can, I can watch whatever I want. I, I live 
in such comfort, such ease, while most of the world does not. You know, even as a child, I would see the world vision pictures. Remember world vision? And okay, people who are close to my age, you remember Biafra? Okay, Carolyn, you remember Biafra? Some of you remember Because that was big then, because of the big famine that was going through Biafra. And to be honest with you, I don't even really know where that is. I think it's somewhere in Africa. But I remember it, and I remember the pictures of, of sad little children with flies on their face cooking their meals on uh, a crude little stove, a little fire made in, within a, a ring of stones. And thinking to myself, why do I have so much? Now, don't get me wrong. My parents were not millionaires. In fact, they were far from it. We lived in a home where my dad worked and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. We lived on dad's salary. We made ends meet. We went on vacations, we went camping, we had at times more than one vehicle, we had decent clothes to wear, not a lot of them, but we did have them. We did have clothes. (laughs) We had great food to eat. In fact, there was an abundance. My grandmother had a massive garden. And you know, from time to time, we even went to restaurants. Now, folks, we're going back 40 years ago. And I'm going to tell you, even 40 years ago, we were living very rich comparatively speaking, when we compare ourselves against the world. And as a young, young follower, a young believer in Jesus Christ, I always had that nagging feeling that somehow this just wasn't fair. I don't know if anybody here today has ever had that feeling, but maybe now I've wrecked your life because now you're going to start thinking about how unfair it is that you have so much. Well, don't, don't panic here because I've got a scripture verse for you that I think will help you. The verse that I want to share with you next is a verse that's helped me to manage this tension, this feeling of, you know, how is it that I should have so much while the rest of the world has so little? And here it is. It's Luke twelve forty eight, and it says this. When someone has been given much, maybe read that with me. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. When I began to recognize that what I have been given is not just because God favors me. In fact, I I quickly understood that it's not God's favor that I have so much as it is responsibility that God has given me. When I understood that, then I could cope with the relative ease and luxury here in North America. I began to understand that God has entrusted much to me so that I could in turn be a blessing to others. And so Gloria and I have tried to live our, our whole married life, and, and even before we were married, we were both committed to being generous with what God had given to us because we believe with all our hearts that to whom much is given, much is required. Now, I've got to tell you, I still do have some tension. I do have that pressure. And here's the tension. The tension is this. Am I giving enough? Am I doing enough? Could I do more? You say, Pastor Allen, I did not want to hear that this morning. <laughs> I just want to go on with my life and put my few bucks in the offering plate and, you know, and sing my songs and feel joyful. But here's the thing, folks. You and I are rich. And as, as Paul instructed Timothy, he said, we need to command those who are rich in this present world to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So this morning, I'm going to give you a command. I don't know if I have ever, in my, all my years as a pastor, ever given our congregation a command, but I'm giving you a command now, right here. I'm shaking my finger 
as a real parent to his children. <laughs> I'm giving you a command, and the command is this. You need to do good. Am I offending anybody? I hope not. <laughs> command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. That's what we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks. And I'm, I'm excited about it because I believe that God is going to move in the hearts of Cross Church. And, uh, you know, $30,000 last year, that was a massive amount of money. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, until I go into prayer and start praying it through, I, I can't envision that we could do it again. But somehow, some way, this church is an incredibly generous church. How many would say amen to that? It does amazing things. And so I'm going to say this to you today, folks. Uh, my prayer, my, the desire in my heart, is that everybody in this church would take seriously this call to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. That we would be able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that God asks of us. God asks for our tithe, our 10%, but can we do better than that? Can we in faith say, God, I believe that everything that I have has been entrusted to me. Remember, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. Folks, listen to me. I'm telling you, if you will be generous with what God has entrusted to you, then he will know this about you. He will know that he can entrust more to you. Some of us are living in constant poverty, and it's because we have a poverty mentality. We don't trust God. We don't really, we haven't really put our hope in God. Rather, we put our hope in our money. We put our faith in our money, and we believe that as long as that I've got money in my pocket, then all will be well. Folks, what you need is not money in your pocket. You need God in your heart. And so this morning... I'm asking that you and I take seriously this call to be generous because God has blessed us with so much. I want to remind you of something that Jesus says. It's quite a shocking passage of Scripture. And it's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Listen, I, I, I can't read all, I, maybe I can read most of it, but listen to this. Ready? Listen to this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus and all the angels with him. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, listen to this, my brothers and sisters, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Now, this passage of Scripture has been tortured to say all kinds of things. And I want you to know that Jesus is 
not trying to put a guilt trip on people, but rather he is specifically telling us to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fellow brothers, our fellow Christians, pastors, brothers and sisters who are faithfully serving Jesus. What Jesus is revealing in this passage of Scripture is this. He's revealing who the real Christians are. The real Christians, the sheep, are the ones who care for Jesus' brothers and sisters, the ones who are in prison, the ones who are naked, the ones who are strangers, the ones who need something to eat and something to drink. Folks, you, you understand that we have entered into a new era, and it's just happened. I don't know if you knew this. It's just happened, uh, I would say, in the last number of months. The world as we have known it, up until just a few months ago, will never be the same again. Billy Graham, just this a couple weeks ago, 97 years old, a man that was known by virtually every American, an evangelist that traveled around the world preaching the gospel to literally millions of people. He just recently put on his website, just two weeks ago, he said, Christians in America, prepare for persecution. Isn't that shocking? We've, we have entered into a new era, a new age. And I'm going to tell you right here and right now that Christianity as we have known it for the, for, well, virtually for, for the lifespan of everybody in this room has now changed. It's official. We are now part of the persecuted church around the world. Those of us who put our faith in Christ, those of us who have said, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul and my strength, we are now under attack. And, folks, it's not just by Muslims. It's by the secular world that looks at Christianity as a threat to their way of life. And what is the way of life of the people in this world? I'll tell you what it is in, in just a phrase. You got to let me do what I want to do my way. And you know, as well as I do, that Jesus Christ calls us to give up our rights. He calls us to follow him. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must what? deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. The Christian message flies in the face of what our culture tells us is right and fair and just. Now, Jesus promised that there would be persecution for all those who follow him. In Matthew 10, he said, And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Folks, Jesus Christ is talking about these last days. He's talking, folks, about what's happening right now. Now, for some of you, you're sitting here and you're scared. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, be not afraid. You're nothing to be afraid of. But what we do have to do is that we have to be serious, we have to be diligent, we have to be prepared to do exactly what God has called us to do. Paul says to Timothy, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And by the way, you're not going to hear this on TV. You're not going to hear this from the TV evangelist because it's frankly, it's not a positive message. So what do we do in the meantime? We're living in a world that's full of persecution, and the fact of the matter is is that we are rich believers. We are relatively rich. What are we going to do with that kind of wealth? Well, I'm going to tell you, folks, here's what the disciple of Jesus, John, told us to do. He says in, in 1 John 3, 17-18, if someone has enough money to live well, that's us, and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion... How can God's love be in that person? John's asking, I love John. John just, he just hits us right between the eyes. His, his, his logic is devastating. And he's asking you a question. He's asking me a question. How can you say the love of God is in you if you don't care about your brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world? Dear, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us... Say it again. Let us... Are you speaking French? Say it again. Let us... Thank you. Let us show the truth by our actions. Folks, that is what this Be Rich campaign is all about. We're going to show the truth by our actions. We are going to rise up as people who still have relative freedom compared to the rest of the world, and we're going to reach out to our brothers and sisters who even now are experiencing severe persecution. I'm going to close with this. About a month ago, actually October the 2nd, 2015, Donna Rachel Edmonds wrote an article called Abuse, Exclusion, and Physical Attacks for Christian Syrian Refugees in Germany. Now, isn't this interesting? These refugees are leaving Syria because of ISIS, because of the economic conditions there, whatever. They leave the land of persecution. They go to Germany. And what do they do? They persecute. Isn't that interesting? The people who are persecuted go to Germany and they persecute. Who are they persecuting? They're persecuting Christians. Listen to this. Christians fleeing Muslim persecution are finding just as much oppression in the refugee camps and shelters of Germany as they suffered in their home states. Isn't that interesting? As the vast majority of asylum seekers are Muslims, many of them have imported an adherence to Sharia law with them. The few Christians who traveled with them were ostracized, abused, and even physically attacked. In fact, there was, there was a Muslim that actually converted to Christianity when they arrived on the shores, arrived in Germany, and they were, that, that person was instantly killed by his Muslim compatriots. The German state of Thuringia has been forced to implement a policy of segregating migrants from different backgrounds as soon as they reach the state, thanks to the persistent persecution of Christians by Muslim migrants. Now, folks, I've got to tell you something. The notion, the idea that Islam is a peaceful religion is simply a lie. It is not true. So if, if you hear anybody telling you that, you need to do your homework. Don't just take my word for it. Go and be, put on your big boy pants and go check it out. You will discover that Islam is not 
a peaceful religion. And if you ever read the Quran, if you have done any study on the Islamic religion, you will know that anybody who is not Muslim is called what? An infidel. That's you and me. And many Muslims, not all of them, thankfully, but many Muslims interpret that as an invitation to jihad. Now, Joshua, a Pakistani Christian fleeing threats of violence in his home country, has told the German state broadcaster ZDF that life in the refugee camp is not really different from that in my home country, he says. And he says 98% of asylum seekers there are Muslims, and they threaten me, they call me kafir, an unbeliever, and I'm afraid there, very afraid, and mostly I stay in my room. Now, folks, I, want, I don't want anybody going away from here hating Muslims. That's not who we are. That's not who we are as Christians. But by definition, a Christian is somebody who loves everybody. But the question today and the topic that we're addressing is not, is not Christianity versus Islam. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what do we do as rich Christians in response to somebody like poor Joshua, this Pakistani Christian fleeing threats of violence in his home country. The Bible is calling you and me to give. And so I want you to know that over the next four weeks, while we are raising money to send care packages up to Garden Hill, where we sent our missions team, and, and uh, as we raise money to, to give care packages to the families of our kids' club kids, and as we raise money for other projects, the one that is as high in our priority is caring especially for these Syrian refugee Christians. Okay, did you hear that? I'm, I have nothing, no problem caring for all Syrian refugees, but the problem is this, folks, is that the Christian Syrian refugees are being ignored. And so we as a church are going to commit to raising, hopefully, some significant money to make a difference in caring for these Christian Syrian refugees. And so the funds that we raise over the next four weeks, and you can actually mark on your envelope, I want this to go to the Syrian Christian refugees, or just put refugees, we'll know what you're talking about. We're going to raise this money, and we're going to send it through our, through our Erdo, through our POC Erdo department that is going to send the money, all of it, 100%, to caring for these brothers and sisters of ours. Because if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we've heard your word this morning, and we've been reminded of what it really means to be a Christian. Lord Jesus, you tell us that the real followers of Christ reach out and care for your brothers and sisters, those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Lord Jesus, your, your disciple John reminds us that the evidence that the love of God is in us is that we reach out, for, reach out to care for those in need. God, we pray 
that you would cause us to be a people of prayer, a people who would reach out and love those whom we would call brothers and sisters. They may not speak our language, they may not be in our country, but nevertheless, they're part of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ Universal. So God, we commit ourselves to you now asking that a spirit of generosity would descend upon Cross Church and that over the next four weeks, we would be absolutely amazed at the great things that you will do through this church. And so we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, I hope you give generously.